We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius and Mike. And the Lakers uh, gutted out another ugly overtime win, this time over the Oklahoma City Thunder, 119 to 112. In some ways, in in few ways, but in some, I actually thought this was a good win because this is exactly the type of team that we're vulnerable to. They're athletic, they are young, and they play hard. They're a team that that really, you know, competes every night. And uh, on a night where we struggled to find juice, as has been a common theme throughout the season, Wesley Matthews was fantastic. Both Anthony Davis and Alex Crusoe sat, meaning that Markeith Morris got the start. I didn't think Keith was quite as good, and perhaps we'll get into him a little bit later. Uh, and in AC's absence, Wes Matthews became part of that nine-man rotation, and he was fantastic. Mike, uh, it, before the season, we had our three through eight pod and talking about our depth, and we were bullish on the team's overall record. Uh, in the regular season, despite the difficulties of repeating, the difficulties of a shortened offseason, these are exactly the types of games that a Wes Matthews can win, that a Montrez Harrell can win for you. And uh, you had a great postgame interview with Wes, and I- I'd love to hear your your thoughts on that. Well, Frank Vogel kind of tipped his hand when he talked about Matthews and Morris about a week ago once they made the rotation change. And he said, we're going to need these guys to win the championship. We're going to need these guys sooner than you might think. And in this case, it happens because Caruso and AD are both out. But that is sort of the point, right, of our three through eight, or which turns into three through 11 podcast. Shout out to John Hollinger uh, for the motivation. That's kind of the point is that if you need, if you're in a pinch and you need like a legit three and D wing, 
who can help you get stops on one end, hit threes on the other, um, have confidence in his own game, not shy for moments. You're not going to find a player like that that's not already in an NBA rotation, most likely starting. Uh, that's the thing. That's the luxury that the Lakers have. And it's also the issue that Frank has in that it's so tough to pull Wesley Matthews aside like he did in practice and say, hey, man, hey, I'm sorry. I know this is not fair to you. You're playing. Uh, you're, it's not because of your play. It's not because we know you can't do it. But I got to get THG minutes here. And that's a tough conversation for anybody to have. It, it just is. And Matthews said it, Pete, to start that walk-off interview. And, and I asked him a relatively open-ended question about, I kind of prefaced it, I think, by saying that, you know, Frank Vogel said he's going to need you at some point. And, and Matthews said, A, he appreciated the coaching staff and their sort of directness and honesty about it. But also, it's definitely not ideal. He didn't, he, does, he wants to be playing, right? He doesn't, he didn't come to this team after starting 77 games for the Bucks last yep. year and think that he's going to get DMPs. And rightfully so. And understand, and, and especially when he's looking around the league, he's specifically at Milwaukee. My goodness, can Milwaukee use him right now? You know, they've got nothing uh, coming off their bench, especially, or, you know, even at that starting lineup, they're depending on Dante DiVincenzo, who I would say right now is not as good of an all-around player as Matthews, even though his development is important, a little bit similar to THT. So that's that's kind of the rub of this season. And it's, it's the thing, uh, Pete, as you tipped off here, that leads to you winning that game against OKC or winning the game against Detroit, whether it's Montrose Harrell, same kind of thing. That's the depth is allowing them to win games that their fatigue would otherwise suggest they're going to lose Darius. And Matthews was the biggest reason why, but that's, we're going to see other guys step into that spot. I think uh, as this, this season goes on, because look, this, this type of fatigue, it's not going away. It's just, not, it's not going to go away, especially when there's no energy in the building with the fans not being there. Well, Mike, you talk about fatigue within the context of, and I'm glad you mentioned fatigue because I thought they talk about uh, arm days and leg days, right? When you're in the weight room, this was a leg day, but in a different form with the Lakers, they played a double OT game on just the day before that, or, you you know, within 48 hours of, of that OKC game. And Pete, everything that you said about, the challenges that OKC brings to a Lakers team. I think those are true in general, right? Like, mm. like even if we're not, yeah, fatigued like, like and, even yeah, if they're the, not fatigued, we are like, vulnerable to this. Yeah. We give up so many points at the rim, a lot of offensive rebounds. Yeah. A lot of athleticism. Yeah. There's just going to be times where in lineups where you have um, Marcus Gasol, who's 36 years old and even LeBron who is third 36 years old. Like, um, there are just going to be times where dudes look faster than you or look springier than you. And, and that's even true with like Anthony Davis, right? One of the things that we've been talking about with, with AD has been his sort of lack of bounciness that was real element in his game last season has not quite been there at the same level this year. And so teams like this that are going to get up and down, they're going to attack the offensive glass. The Lakers can be vulnerable to those types of teams they're especially going to be vulnerable when they played a 58-minute game 30 like 40 hours ago, right? Oh. And and that's why OKC's points in the paint were crazy high. They were it wasn't that they were just breaking guys down off off of the dribble, which they were doing that some. It was like, yeah, Diallo's just 
running up and down the court like he's got endless energy and is just bouncy as hell. And to bring it back to Wes, he didn't play two days before, right? And, and so he had a real life to his game that I thought mattered. I thought Kuz was the same way that game where it was just like, look, Kuz is 27, man, like, or 26. Like he's just going to run around out there. He had 10 rebounds. He had a, he had a tip dunk. He had a couple of good blocks. That sort of energy was needed last night. And then when you add Wes's like dogged competitiveness defensively, and then his shot making, which I was happy with, um, considering the layoff, right? Keith did not shoot to the same level that, that Wes did, but Wes looked healthy. Mike, Wes had been bothered earlier during the year with like some lower leg stuff. I don't know if it was Achilles or calf. You would remember better than I, but there were some times where he looked a little bit more sluggish out there and not healthy. And I thought this time off, even though it's not ideal for him, may have helped him a little bit in that regard. That's a good point. Yeah, I, I remember it as Achilles soreness as well. And I think that you could look around the league really and find a lot of vets who are going through the same kind of thing. On the one hand, there's the guys that played through October. And then on the other, there's the guys that haven't played since March and trying to figure out a way to get their bodies going with this calendar without the real training camp, without the real uh, building in that way. And like that, that's something that I, I think has definitely stood out uh, to me so far. And I think with Wes's case and specifically, now you just get back to, I just wrote this little thing for like Lakers insider. You get back to now. Okay. So let's say you get Caruso back. Let's say you get AD back and Frank's right back into that, having 11 guys, but at some point, the next guy is going to miss a day. I, so I just think, and Pete, you've made this point, you know, all season long, there's good. There are going to be guys that are going to be missing games. I, I just think it's, it's super unlikely that any team is going to have their top 11 guys in their rotation available. Um, every night and the Lakers have for the most part had that. And that's like in the way that it's a quote unquote, it's almost like a little blessing that you get to get Morris uh, and uh, Matthews in, in this context, but it, you're also playing with fire there. If you're like waiting for and rooting for not rooting and just thinking that and assuming guys are going to be missing games because they're injured or whatever. But I mean, guys are going to miss games because of injury and attrition. And there's, I mean, there are so many decisions and, and you know this better better than I, Mike. There's so many game time decisions, right? Where a guy is a little bit dinged up throughout a season, right? And he could sit that game or he could play. And we always talk about like if this was a playoff game, he would play this game that that he was sitting. And that was kind of how the AD in uh, you know, sitting out last night, AC as well, that this is one of the opportunities that the Lakers have. And this is an, an odd part of the season because there is a dog days about a third into a normal season anyway. And then you stack kind of the other factors on top of it. And we're in it. We're in that time of the season of the season throughout the league. So the question becomes, what is the opportunity with within this? And I think forward to the playoffs, right? One of the things that Frank talks about all the time is keeping everybody engaged and the value, like we're going to need you at some point. We are going to need you to win the championship. And Darius, when we go to the playoffs, remember last year, the different versions of the Lakers, depending upon the series that we were in. And there's going, there's a good chance. There's a series that's a Wes Matthews series. There's a good chance that there's a Markeith Morris series waiting for us somewhere in the playoffs where he and I like as as much as I have loved watching THT's development and think that this part of the season is essential to it. I 
don't trust him yet in a playoff scenario. And that's because he's 20 years old and he's still learning. When the basketball becomes really high level, those mental mistakes that young players are more prone to making become more and more important. There very well may be a series where as wonderful as THT has played and and as much talent as he has, maybe Wes Matthews, you need a guy to, to make fewer mistakes, right? And so the that's the value to me of this part of the season of getting those different guys run is you get to sit guys who are dinged up but could play and you get to work on the different versions of yourself uh, throughout the season that said i'm curious to hear your thoughts on kind of the different versions that we saw last night um uh, different lineups different combinations because i have some thoughts some uh thoughts along those lines but i'd love to hear yours first i mean look wes is the of all the players on the team, right? Like, obviously, this applies to AD and LeBron. They're superstars. And then I think it also applies to Alex Caruso because he's like a Swiss Army Knife player, right? But how many more players do you go down on the list that is as plug-and-play as Wes Matthews, right? Like, where stick them in a lineup, And not just on this Lakers team, but across the entire league. Mike, you alluded to this earlier when you talked about Milwaukee, but this could just as easily be true for 29 other teams across the league as well beyond the Lakers is, yeah, how about a 3 and D wing? How about, could we use another one of those guys? Dallas, San Antonio, up and down the Western Conference. Well, pretty much every team in the league exactly. would love another 3 and D wing. Yeah. And so when you talk about Pete, the thing I like about Wes in particular is that he is another viable option for the LeBron AD and three wings lineup, right? And, and so this season, that's been a killer group, but it's typically been limited to Dennis and Alex and KCP, right, as those three wings. Kuz has not seen a lot of minutes with that group as a closing player, but Wes is a pretty good option there as well. And you can just play Wes with a bunch of different types of guys. The thing I would caution against, though, is playing him with too many other guys who aren't necessarily athletes. Right. Because 100 percent. We're right on the same page where I just think like, okay, you can't have Wes out there with in some weird lineup that is I don't know. I'm going to start it with like Keith and Gasol at the four or five. Yeah. Yeah. Like Keith, Gasol, Wes. And then even if you try to supplement that with like LeBron and like Kuz. Right. Yeah. Sometimes we'll have Kuz at the two where he's got size, but it's no longer like Kuz is athletic, but Kuz at the two is not exceptionally athletic relative to the guys that he's across from. So the whole lineup in general is relatively unathletic. We've seen when the Lakers have been bad or have been beaten by these athletic teams, a lot of times it's been with those types of pairings. Well, it's been like that four forwards group, right? Which was like, and right. Wes was a part of that group. It was like Wes, and then it was LeBron. Kuz, Keith, and Trez, I think. And, and it's sort of just like, uh, I'm not sure about this group, like the collective foot speed and all of that. So I'd much rather surround Wes with like a THT or a Caruso or maybe even Dennis and then maybe even like AD. And, and then you're starting to build then 
and you start to talk about complementing strengths versus weaknesses and where you can compensate for weaknesses. And Wes's sort of bulldog defense and point of attack strength, you still need some quickness on the back end of that in order to cover up for him in certain matchups where this isn't quite ideal for him. So while I was just talking about him being a plug and play player, I think that that's true within the context of his individual role. But the complementary pieces also have to fit him a little bit better at this stage of his career. This all gets back to the lineup optimization theory. And if we were building a lineup in a lab and you have LeBron and AD, what do you want to put around those guys? And it depends on the opponent. And that's what we saw Frank Vogel do pretty well last postseason. Now you have a larger room for error because LeBron and AD can both play multiple positions and basically do everything than literally any other combo in the whole NBA. But if the Lakers are going up against the Clippers, for example, and you've got at least in theory, better one-on-one matchups for LeBron and AD, that's the time where maybe you want THT in more lineups as compared to Wesley Matthews. If you're against almost any, just in in terms of like having somebody else who's going to be able to attack matchups and create something and not have everything beyond LeBron or AD. But if you're against a a traditional lineup, then you're, you want the ball in LeBron or AD's hands, most possessions anyway, when it matters, um, or in, of course, Schroeder weighs in heavily in this too, right? So you almost don't need THG if you have Schroeder and then you just have the shooter. Uh, but the, in that case, then Wesley Matthews or last year, Danny Green, KCP, that guy's perfect. Cause he just, he's out there spacing and then he's defending and he's a little bit bigger. Um, and it just isn't going to make the mistakes that Pete talked about a couple of moments ago. So this is the choice that this is, these are the questions that Frank Vogel and his coaching staff think about daily think about all the time and we'll continue to and it's 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 that whole good problem to have thing that will end up paying dividends in the playoffs as long as they keep managing like they have and i would just say that you have to give vogel some credit and and matthew some credit like both of them deserve credit for his being able to stay uh, available stay ready to call on him in certain situations and then to stick with him instead of like he didn't he didn't put coups in in the fourth quarter or, or OT, uh, maybe that was because he couldn't hit a three um, at all. Like, what was he one for seven? But there were a couple of times where I thought, yeah, he, you know, th- this is the spot where he could go in. And, and Frank said, no, Matthews has earned this spot here. I don't care what happened last game. I'm trying to win this game. And he rewarded that and he honored that. And that was a big reason why they won. Yeah, that's part of the value of right now, right, is figuring out which lineups and and kind of go when a guy's got the juice when he's got the hot hand when he's not looking sluggish as he was early in the season absolutely give west 25 28 minutes somewhere in there that's the perfect time to do that to manage the health of your team and to get you know value out of it in terms of the questions you, you said a phrase there that struck me mike about the questions that vogel and the staff are thinking about i'm i'm thinking of this team this year in different framework than last year in a couple of different ways. One in that this is much, the personality of this team is much more speed than power, which was really what last year's team, the really elicited in me is that idea of they they were a really powerful team. Now that's not to say last year's team was not fast or this year's team does not have powerful elements to them. But I think that their core uh, 
personality trait is their speed in that since they're less vertical, if you're not going to beat teams up in the air, you're going to beat them with speed. And when we're at our best, it's that blitz that we saw against Denver. It's some of these beautiful fast breaks where the ball never touches the ground, whether it's on a rim run or it takes three passes from outlet to layup or dunk. Speed is such a central part of this team's personality. Um, And I'm thinking about less the LeBron and AD lineups and the other parts of the game. We've got so many versions that can be great around LeBron and AD that like, I feel very confident we're going to win those parts of the game uh, by quite a bit. So it's the middle parts of the game where I, I think that the questions that Vogel and, and his staff are asking right now, that that's where more of that lays. And so that, that comes into you know, how do you evaluate Keith? How do you evaluate Wes? How do you evaluate Mark? And they don't fit into the speed. Like they're not as fast as the other guys, Darius. And so one thing that struck me about last night's game, but I'm talking about a broader concept in general here is that like, I really don't like the Keith and Mark combo at the four and five, just because they're so s- slow relative to their counterparts. And you're not getting any verticality either. There's just a an athleticism deficit where you break, I think, in a lot of ways. Um, so I'm curious about these guys that are at the end of the rotation. First, do you agree with kind of my framework of this being a speed team? And if so, how do you incorporate slower players to be effective within a team that is that their main personality trait is their speed? I mean, I think you look at the ways that those players can, can complement speed. Gasol is a great passer, not only um, in the half court, which which we've seen, but as an outlet player. Right. And and so I think that he can help there. Also, too, that speed of getting north south, that's not just a full court game. Right. And, and so in the half court, I think Mark's passing is super important, too, on like those backdoor cuts that he that he gets with KCP and with Schroeder. And even with LeBron, LeBron still has that short area burst and he has like long court speed as well when he decides to turn it on. I compared him the other day to Bo Jackson when he really decides that he's going to get get it going because there's that unbelievable speed and power element to Braun when when he gets downhill. But that stuff is element is there in the half court as well. And and so I think you look at each guy and figure out, all right, where can they help us within the context of this broader approach or ethos that we're going to carry as a team? I think individually you can find spaces for all of them. I think where you start to get in trouble is when you have two or more of them on the court at the same time, which then probably starts to dictate what your rotation and lineup decisions should look like. Right. And so going back to the early part of the season or even the preseason, when we were talking about who should start, we all sort of thought like, Hey, you know, like Wes and Gasol, they might be good starting options. Right. But I think now that we've right. learned this team a little bit through a third of the year, we might see that as not being too speed deficient for the overall mindset of this group. Right. And it's a, it's another reason why I think Vogel decided he was going to go to THT in a nine man rotation and keep Alex in that group. Right. Because it plays more to the strengths of what this group is. And it's no coincidence that 
two of the lesser athletes, I would say, are the guys who fell out of the rotation. Mike, I'd love to hear your thoughts on not only this general idea about speed and quickness, but a question I might push back to you, Mike, and then also to you, Pete, is that in the playoffs, the Lakers last season were sort of an anomaly in being able to be such a high-rate transition team in the playoffs. That is normally not the case. The game normally slows down a bunch, and teams that love to play fast often find their possessions drop by two, three, four, five possessions a game just by the nature of what the playoffs are. And so, Mike, take that in any direction that that you want, but do you see then Keith and maybe Wes having more value in a playoff environment where the grinding of the playoffs matter more, or do you maybe see the fact that the Lakers can just impose their will with speed the same way that they did last year with that combination of power and then quickness? Yeah, I think that they can do both. Uh, I think that's the beauty of them is that they can slow things down uh, if they need to in the half court, or they can put lineups out there that are just going to run you down the hill. And with regards to Matthews and to a lesser extent, Morris, you know, I think Keith at this point on this roster is a bit more of a specialist where if you need a just sort of a space five um, in a in a bit of a quicker group than Marcus Gasol is going to give you, especially for more minutes, um, then that's fine. You can put him out there with AD, but I don't think you're going to see many more lineups when, it, when he's in there, you know, replacing AD, for example, with Marcus Gasol, because that just doesn't fit athletically. As you mentioned, you may as well just go coos in that case and at least get a little bit more speed. But for Matthews, uh, I thought of a quote. So Frank Vogel said this last night when I uh, asked him postgame about Matthews. Incredible energy on both sides of the ball, but particularly defensively. You need as many guys as you can that can contain the basketball. And two of our best containment guys with AD and Alex being out, we definitely needed his toughness on that side of the ball. So that's part of the point of the story and why Caruso being out is a bigger deal sometimes than it might be given credit for in the box score. Because that's the, that's part of why are these guys getting to the rim all the time? Well, part of that is because you don't have that dribble containment from the perimeter that Caruso is so great at. Uh, it just cutting that off where you or he's moving his body in the spot that Hamnu Diallo wants to drive into, and you're not even seeing him get to the rim because of that. So I think that those issues in part get solved with him in, in the lineup. And my more global concern, if it's a concern, is the Lakers in spots once again, relying on LeBron James to get them through a win in the middle of the season. And when other guys are capable of doing more, but that's part of the greatness of LeBron is that he's there. And if he's on the court, he's going to be great. And he's going to demand that respect and the basketball. And it's just, I don't have a real solution for that other than being a little bit more heavy handed with LeBron's minutes, which no coach has ever done Good successfully. Luck. Good luck. You know, and so, okay, so that one's out of there. So then unless, and he's clearly on a mission, which I have so much respect for of not resting that I like, I, and I am so, I, I hate, like there are guys around the league right now. And I'll just name one, a former Laker who I was higher on than everybody else while he was here, D'Angelo Russell. He's just taking rest games. Now it's like, what? It's just, it's just the whole ethos of it in the way. So I'm, it's that's where I'm torn Pete is that you watch LeBron's minutes ticking up and you think, okay, they're leaning on him again. Shooter could do more, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But you also don't, you just genuinely don't want him getting up close to 40 minutes to beat the thunder. So I don't know. I, I don't, please take that however you will. 
Yeah. Um, I want to make one real quick point about uh, to Darius's question about the ability to play in transition. If I if I may, real quick, I think the reason that we can do that deep into the playoffs, D, is because we play fast on the defensive end. Our transition game is predicated on our defense and the the speed and that. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed facilitate our transition game in a way that makes it more sustainable than I think, say, like mid-2000s Phoenix Suns, whose transition game was whose transition game was based on, you know, it was more offensively predicated than defensively. So anyway, I wanted to just uh, address that real quick. Let's take a break. And when we come back, uh, we'll get into Mike's point about LeBron and a little bit of Anthony Davis, too, because we got a little news on him as well. Like any good team, hiring the right employees for your front office is just as important as recruiting the best players for the game. That's why you need Indeed. Indeed is the job site that makes hiring easy as one, two, three, post, screen, and interview, all on Indeed. Get your quality shortlist of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description faster. Only pay for the candidates that meet must-have qualifications and schedule and complete video interviews in your Indeed dashboard. Indeed makes connecting with and hiring the right talent fast and easy. With tools like Indeed Instant Match, giving you quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your job description immediately, and Indeed skills tests that on average reduces hiring time by 27%. You can choose from more than 130 skills tests, then add your must-have requirements so you only pay for applications that meet them. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. If you're hiring, you need Indeed. Get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com backslash BlueWire. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through June 30th. Terms and conditions apply. So I think the question about, you know, LeBron and first off, with LeBron if anyone's ever earned the benefit of the doubt as to how to manage their body and their physical capacity to be ready for when it matters most, it's, it's LeBron. Like he's not just in terms of the length of which he's been able to sustain this, this dominance, um, but his availability, he's always there. He, I, has he had a single season where he wasn't, where he didn't finish the, the year? 
I don't think he has. That's remarkable over 18 seasons. A well, lot of the all-time great. Yeah, just the first year with with the Lakers, yeah. Where, oh, right. Know. But, I mean, yeah. that was – but he was capable of finishing the year, right? We had just – we were out of the playoff picture at, at that point. But, I mean, like, Jordan in, like, his second year, he, you know – No, he missed. Yeah. Right. You know what I'm saying? And Kobe missed a couple of. And so that in and of itself, like if LeBron's fine playing 45 minutes and I'm cringing as I'm saying this, right. If he's fine doing it, like I'm, I'm fine with it. Right. Um, The question becomes, and this plays into, we got some news about AD, right. With, uh, with the, the tendinosis that he's dealing with. And um, I'm that's beyond my level of knowledge and expertise in terms of how to manage that. But obviously we are, our goals are toward the playoffs. So this is a big reason why I've advocated going deeper into our bench during this point of the season in particular, because we need to find more nights Darius where Wes Matthews has juice that he did not have juice before. Right. Uh, that to me, that's where McKinney becomes important. Even cook. This is not a conventional year in which a like, so say I like the nine man rotation idea. It doesn't always have to be the same nine guys. Right. And I, I think to address that that question from Mike, this is so much about getting that umph into the like and that's how you address not having to play LeBron 45, 42 minutes is getting better minutes out of everybody else. So to, just to jump on that point for a second, the difficulty, I think, with going further into the rotation is that you're already not getting enough minutes for six through ten and going to eleven. So when there's a guy or two out, that I think is Frank Vogel thinking, all right, now I can actually get 30 minutes for uh, for uh, Kuzma, right? Or 32 minutes for THT. That's fine. Or mm-hmm. thir- and, and that's what that's what they did yesterday, right? For the most part. So the problem is then if but you're Pete, you're not wrong. It's like it's like when they put Dudley in a couple of weeks ago and he came in and had a real impact in his five six minutes. That, like that, I see what you're saying there. I, I just think the tricky part is you've got all these guys that are capable of playing 25 to 30 minutes that are playing 15 to 20 minutes. And so it's, it's some mix there, but I don't, I don't disagree with the theory. So I'm fine with that version yeah. too, right? Even a mix of the, and you probably don't want to introduce more than one guy that's normally out of the rotation into, and you know, last night we had two guys out. So we had two new guys step in. It could have easily been an eight man rotation, right? Where those guys exactly that you're talking about are playing 32 minutes instead of 26. Right. Um, so anyway, Darius, I'm curious on, on your thoughts on the management of this. It, it can certainly be a mix of those things, but I think so much of the, the fundamental problem is finding guys who have gas in the tank that night. Well, there's two th- there's two questions, man, or there's two things that are on my mind here. The first is LeBron played over 440 minutes in back-to-back games and look, man, I know that both went to OT and you can't plan for OT, right? You're trying to win the game in regulation. He ended up playing 10 10 additional minutes in that first game that went to two overtimes and then he played a five additional minutes those minutes wouldn't have been there that 15 extra minutes that he wouldn't have played if the lakers were better than (laughs) well then they were i'm like cringing here because they really needed to be better um the thing is though i'm with mike and i was saying this like good luck Good luck having a conversation with LeBron where you ask him to take a night off. 
if LeBron takes a night off, guess what? It's going to be LeBron's idea. And he seems pretty intent on not taking a night off, even though he's appeared on the injury report, right? And I think I don't want to get too inside baseball here, and I won't expect Mike or Pete to comment on this, but part of the reason I think you keep guys on the injury report is because when it is time to sit them, you can sit them without having to pay a fine to the NBA about like just sitting a guy for rest for outright rest purposes. Right. And so you guys can have no, well, no comment on that. But a part of the thing is though, is uh, as much as I love LeBron for wanting to play, it wouldn't be the worst thing if he took a game off every, I don't know, eight or 12 or 13 games, just because there's a part of me where that feels like they are super reliant on LeBron in a way that they are not reliant on any other player, even Anthony Davis. Like, Oh yeah. I think that obviously AD is super important. His absence showed up in a lot of ways against the thunder offensively though. I thought that Trez did a pretty decent Anthony Davis impersonation against OKC he got to the post LeBron even said we're gonna go to Trez Isos on two or three possessions late in the game and basically was just like look go cook against Darius Baisley right or even go cook against Al Horford right like whether or not you score on that possession I trust you to get something there. And it's the same. It it may not be as high as the trust that he has for Anthony Davis, but the trust is still there. He ran a late game possession for him. So I would love for the Lakers to be able to establish some trust in other players that can try to approximate what LeBron brings. Now that's those shoes are massive shoes. No one is going to fill those shoes completely, but I'd like to see some reps for Dennis Schroeder late in games without LeBron. Like, like I think you have to start to build some, some of that stuff. Like, or am I off base with that? No, just to go on a a quick Schroeder tangent. I don't remember if it was a, I think I had one group text thread going and then one just with Pete, but we were just salivating over uh, how great Schroeder was late in that fourth quarter. And then in overtime Mm -hmm. on both sides of the ball, just play after play, tough defense, uh, you know, getting to spots on offense. Like that was great. And uh, Pete, I'll, I'll, I'll lay out for you to weigh in on that in a second, but to close out the LeBron thought as we jump around here, I earlier in the season, he was playing more like 30 to 35 and some nights it would be 29. And when he is closer to full throttle in 32 minutes is different from, you know, sort of 38 to 45 at get, managing the game. And then, taking it to uh, the woodshed late when it need, when he needs to. And those are sort of two, you know, we've seen that for years. It's, it's totally, it's not something that anybody isn't experienced with watching, but I, I prefer those 32 minute bursts. It's just, again, it's, we have to defer to however he wants to do it at this point. It's just like, it's, that's the thing. It's just that's hard for the rest of the guys sometimes then to know where to get in. But, but again, it's not a problem. Like they're 19 and six They're Like he's, he's the broad. So it's just part of the regular season experience for every player trying to figure out how to maximize that. So, and this is, that's, that's why I actually disagree with you, Darius, in that if LeBron wants to play 72, all 72 this season, let him do it. 
because like I said at the earlier, no, like he's doing something nobody's ever done before. Yeah. Like maintaining his body for this long. What the hell do I have to say that has any value on, you know what I'm saying? Like, let me jump he, in here. He's the expert on this. Please. Let me jump in here. So, <clears throat> because I think Mike made a really good and salient point here that I think ties all, all of this together. And I think actually ties my perspective together with what you were saying right now, Pete, is Braun load managed that first half especially defensively. Oh yeah. He didn't, oh, yeah. he didn't defend at all. And if you know, people jumped in my Twitter dimensions when I said that, because they were just like, Oh, well he's got 14 points and eight assists and eight rebounds. And you're saying that he's not guarding anyone. And I'm just like, Oh yeah. All that can be true at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yes. <laughs> like, right. And so, but in the second half he came out and, and defended with much more purpose mm-hmm. and was way more attentive defensively. And if you watch the game, even, slightly with like inquisitive eyes you would see the difference between those those two the thing that i have is that the reps that i'm talking about getting a guy like dennis schroeder or even an alex caruso or a tht those come easier without lebron in the game right or if he were to sit a whole game and then these guys take on new roles within the context of a full 48 minute game that said, learning to play with LeBron in those that's, times when he's not when, when he's not at that level is also super important and feeling that out. And, and so that's the bridge there with what. So that's the thing is like those are those are reps, too. And I would argue those are way more important reps than the without LeBron reps, because there's no version of us that wins the NBA title without LeBron at the center of it. Right. And so especially with a guy like Schroeder. And I can't wait to get the, the next pod is going to be this half court offense pod that I've been jonesing to get to uh, for the last three. Um, Schroeder starting to figure out where he fits in and whatnot is I would argue a direct result of LeBron playing every game, right? That this is the value is that LeBron is the sun that all the other planets have to learn how to revolve around. And so if he feels comfortable, like, obviously, I'm, I'm with you, Mike. Like, I don't want him playing 45, then 42 minutes. And I doubt LeBron wants to play that many minutes, for sure. That's not part of the plan. But I, I love the idea that he's playing in every single game because, like he said, Darius, Montrez Harrell was able to do a facsimile of an Anthony Davis on offense impression at the very least, Right. There ain't nobody on the team that does that with LeBron, no matter how badly we want it. Dennis Schroeder can do his Dennis Schroeder in Atlanta, Dennis Schroeder in OKC impression, but the Dennis Schroeder in LA that we need is a different type of dude. So every type of rep that he gets alongside LeBron, is uh, there's value in that. Yeah, so I, I think that my conclusion here is going to be, I guess let's just let LeBron keep figuring it out as he wants to, and he will figure it out and be fine. And we, we can comment as we go along, but... I like in my ideal world, there would be not a hard cap on a minutes thing, but it would just be more like, all right, but instead we don't have to bring LeBron back in here because we're down three to OKC with eight minutes left right now. Let's, let's buy three more minutes. Let Schroeder do some cooking. And, but if, but if LeBron gets up and walks the scores table, all right, it's kind of like, it's kind of like when, so Schroeder hit, hit 20 something, two straight free throws and there was an illegal defense and LeBron just went and took the ball and, and is shooting it. It's like, okay, you know, like uh-huh. he, he is no one, none of us can ever argue with him. 
about anything hey man, in basketball. We grew up with Kobe, man. We grew up yeah. with Kobe. We we are well versed in, in this whole dynamic. And not only yeah. that, not only here, there's a re- and I honestly, I like that LeBron does that because if he feels like that gets him in a little bit better of a shooting rhythm, sorry, shooter. You know, that's what's the most important. <laughs> Mike, and he's somebody that has no problem getting somebody else in a rhythm too, right? Like of when course. he feels that's important, he will certainly step aside. Mike, LeBron had that play where it was some sort of broken play where they the Lakers had committed a tur- turnover and then OKC came and turned the ball right back over. And then the ball got kicked ahead to, to LeBron. And right next to him, literally right next to him, are Trez and I think it was THT maybe he could have easily just dished the ball to any of those guys and said go get the easiest two points you're going to get all night and guess what braun looked at those those two dudes took two mm-hmm. dribbles cocked the ball back behind his head and 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 did a two-hand dunk because in that moment he said i want this basket right like for whatever reason and he is playing three-dimensional chess Right. It's not just regular chess where it's just like, oh, okay, I'm going to see the whole whole board. He is seeing three boards all at the same time and and understands everything. I just I'm 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 at once in awe of his talent and his mind and also just like like, damn it, man, like it would be you want to fast forward the process a little bit but as someone who is a process guy i also know that it's each step at at a time and that progress isn't always linear and that you're going to have these games where it's just like oh that didn't look as good there but these guys they need to figure it out man and 25 games into a season in which you hope to play close to 90 games right yeah that's important yeah yeah you're you're right the other point that you just made i want to touch on was harrell and this was a game to me once I once we heard who wasn't playing for OKC and not that these are, you know, like big names, but Isaiah Roby and Mike Muscala, basically they're only backup bigs. My first thought was, OK, let's feed Harold. Let, go ahead and give him the bat, because if you don't, if you try to play small against Trez, you're just going to get dunked on a lot. It's he has that. It's like there's just a honeypot at the, the basket. Right. And he's got like the he's like the full beehive open there he's going straight there and that's that to me is exactly the way that you should that the lakers uh, should use him and i think that that goes for what like at some point of the current nba season almost every team except for maybe the sixers are going to be small at some point and when that is the case i think that that's when the lakers should just hammer montrose harrell right down the throat of the opponent and that's what they did uh he what did he end up finishing from the field I think that it was uh, nine of fourteen, I believe. Okay, so not yet yeah, nine of fourteen, and a couple of those were ones that he like never misses. You know, he yeah, he probably he missed a couple yeah. chippies. Yep, and and he and that's the thing is that you're you're shocked. Most players will miss a few in there. He almost never does, and so when 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 he does, it's it's almost like you notice it that much more. So that that to me was encouraging. He has gotten better. Shooter has gotten better. That these guys are starting to figure stuff out, and that just raises the ceiling even higher. Um, it also though doesn't convince me that they're not going to have another kind of lull sort of tough game against OKC on Wednesday <laughs> when the same, All group, of it's true. you know, that's coming back. And so it's just going to be like, my, my mom is always texting me during games, right? She's uh, she watches every game. She loves, she's completely obsessed now watching the Lakers and she's smart. Um, and, and, but she'll also text me sort of like the, you know, 
is Marcus is Marcus all having a, a rough night tonight? And and then part of me is like, well, I, like I know why you would say that, Mom. But like, here's the thing: you got to also remember, right? That you know Frank Vogel doesn't want him really shooting much on offense, and from the top of the key, she's like, oh yeah, okay, that, right, that makes a lot of sense. And then like Harold's going off, she's like, oh wow, like th- this is really this is really great. Like what Montrose Harold's able to do, and they say, yeah, yeah, this is part of why they should attack here. Now, if they switch Horford out onto him, you know, maybe you stop going to him every time in, in isolation because that oh, means he the, gave Horford he gave Horford the work last night too. He did, well he gave him the first he gave him the work on the drive past him but then you know then Horford sort of adjusted and I think it would have like that that matchup isn't as ideal but yes for sure work. for sure you can do work on Horford because Horford's not huge so it's just a I'm I'm growing in my uh Harrell is rounding more into the form of what we had discussed when we had the whole pod um about Harrell and like that's been Chris fun is to see. good yeah, and, and I and I think that it's I think that it's important to uh, to keep nurturing that, and I think they will yeah. as the year goes on. Yeah, and that's the thing. All of the above is true right now, right? Like this next OKC game is almost certainly going to be a similar type of dogfight, and maybe we don't pull it out at the end of it. it I think it depends on you know who's got it that night, and that's part of the uh, you know the challenge that Frank has in front of him while still having that those long term goals in mind, right? But Trez's incorporation, Schroeder's incorporation, we're making progress on these fronts in ways that are really exciting. Darius, Trez reminds me of Shaq. And it's not like it's like there's no other Shaq, right? And I would love to do a whole Shaq pod one day because I feel like his his game and just he can he's kind of faded more into the background in terms of the player that he was and and how significant of a part of Lakers history he was as a player um, than, than is probably appropriate. Anyhow, I digress. But that I'm going to go right to the front of the rim and dunk on you that Mike was just talking about. Like, not a lot of guys have that. And it's not just with Trez. His his skills are so underrated, man. He's got such nice touch on those floaters, that ability to f- finish around the rim. He, you know, he grabbed uh, he grabbed a rebound, a long rebound, right? It probably kicked out almost to the shoulder area. And mm-hmm. LeBron was standing there as sort of the top of the uh-huh. key, equal to him. And sort this of was on Horford, by the way. Yes. And sort of looked for the outlet pass. And Trez looked at him, but was just sort of like, oh, I got this one, right? I'm going to bring bring it up. Let me flash my handle a little bit. I think he might have went behind his back or between his legs a couple of times. And then he got to the front court at the other three-point line and was just sort of just like, huh, look at that. There's an angle right to the rim. And he put on the jets and got all the way to the rim and got a layup and the foul. And it was sort of just like, holy shit, this dude is basically a center. And it was when you talk about the stuff that like Anthony Davis does, that was a very AD sort of like composition of a play, right? It didn't look how it looks when it's Anthony Davis, but there is a ruggedness to Trez that he couldn't, rinse off if he took 50 straight showers it's 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 just right there in your face every single moment so a hundred percent and i feel like that it's so in your face that it obscures some of the other cool shit that he does like he is so fast that's what again i'm not saying trez is shack in that in caliber but in style that was one thing that shack was so massive and overwhelming you could lose the fact that shack was 
fast. Shaq was skilled, right? Trez is fast. Trez is skilled. Trez has ball, the ability to grab that elbow or that, that rebound on the opposite elbow and then push and transition and then get a little inside out dribble and take that angle, take the bump. And there's that uh, dissociation of movements. Kobe would always talk about, right? That ability for the legs to go this way, but your upper body to go that way and kind of corkscrew and, and double pump and all those types of things. Like most big guys quote unquote can't do that so there's this he's his ferociousness and tenacity to me kind of obscures like there's a bunch of other cool parts of his game that is that combination of speed and skill that makes his tenacity and and tenaciousness look all the more aesthetically pleasing so just for the record we've got darius comparing trez to ad and then we've got Pete comparing trez to Shaq. so that's just want to I'm just saying stylistically, there are stylistic similarities to Shaq. Obviously, he's like, if Shaq was, I mean, part of what, like Shaq was 7-1, right? If Trez had all this and was 7-1, like, that's a different dude, you know? He wouldn't be fighting for the mid-level. We wouldn't have him on the MLE. He would not be on the MLE. If he had a mustache, he'd be the king, right? Uh, Right. Here's here's my suggestion. Tweet at Shaq and at Inside the NBA. You know how if you at them, they're much more likely to put in the show? And compare oh, yeah. him. Are you to, ready for this Shaq com- LFR Twitter war? And compare him to Trez, <laughs> okay? And and make, and make sure he sees that it's the blue check mark. And I'm sure Shaq won't have uh, won't have any thoughts at all. Because if there's one thing that Shaq loves, it's being sort of compared to other people, um, especially especially those that he doesn't necessarily see uh, in his wake. So I I would like to see how that whole Twitter thing goes off. <laughs> you know what i mean though right like just stylistically that power and speed it's like you know you want to say poor man's whatever right like obviously trez is not that same caliber of player no, Shaq, I, you know, but I, there's, I know what you're getting at i'm just i'm just i'm more having fun at Shaq's expense on how defensive he gets on inside um which is yeah, like, why, like, yeah. but, the, but the thing well that's that's right that's that's part of the kobe Shaq dynamic but the the Shaq, the time that i thought of Shaq in the game yesterday was when LeBron got fouled by three OKC players yes. um, late in the fourth. He got, he got like the body from Paisley. He got hit on the arm from Shea. And then he got hit on the, on the head from who, maybe it was Diallo, whoever else was in there. And the ref just, you know, just play on. Like, oh, well, it's LeBron. Yeah. It's play on. It's the refs don't respect how we play. I'm convinced the refs don't respect how we play like 38 of the 48 minutes of the game. There's always like this karma that you get from refs that, that if you're not the like Detroit respecting game the game, the yeah. Detroit oh, game for sure. the yeah, man, we've got had some rough ones. Can I just say but, you know, it, it's one awesome. last thing about Trez is he is a throwback player. He is a very nineties player to me. We got a few of those. Um, yeah. Where it's just like short, short area quickness, mid post catches, like attacking you. Um, so here's another comp, Mike. His his turn and face game, and then attack off off of the dribble, and, and sort of the the sometimes finishing with dunks, sometimes finishing Anthony with Mason. little floaters. No, you can tell him about this next time you see him. Is he's got a little big game, James, in him. With his face, mm-hmm. with his face, first, first I didn't step. think of that. With his face, the bumps game. and the separation. With, oh, I love with that. His face I didn't game. think of that. A yeah. lot of like Worthy was a power forward in college, and he played small forward for those Showtime teams. But there was his game was predicated on that short area quickness, that first step, and then that explosiveness yeah. over the top of you 
if you were a smaller guy and so Trez doesn't finish the same way that Worthy did, right? Worthy would extend over the top of you, right? Where Trez is more of a master of those flows. Worthy, but but I totally see where you're going with Worthy the was more space of space creation. Yes, yeah. Worthy was much more of a one hand finisher around the basket, and he was not a hook shot guy. He was he would shoot his jumper a lot in the paint. Even Trez is not a jumper type of guy, even though he has added that to He's his repertoire mm-hmm. this year. But Worthy was a wholly unique player, and I don't want to like step on his game at all. But there's elements of that when I was watching Trez work last night. It's just sort of just like, man, you were very 80s, 90s post player, like turn and face, quick attacks. You're too small for me. And I'm just going to take it over the top of you. And you remember Antoine Carr? Yeah. He reminds me a little of Antoine Carr. Uh, that those, And again, that's a position that's not around as much anymore, right? Like that, that five who could just get buckets. Those guys have become so specialized over the years that that's part of the reason why Trez succeeds, I think, is that he's just a – like there aren't many Montrez Heralds in the league stylistic. There was a whole slew of those guys back in the 80s and 90s, man, like Kevin Willis and Antoine Carr and, and all of those types of guys where it's just like where the post game was centric to basketball and how it was played the illegal defense rules and all of that meant that the post play was a more valuable tool that you could hammer opponents with and the game has gone away from that and so whenever you see guys like trez now sort of say hey you you know what like i'm this is my game this is how i came up playing and i'm sure he's played like this pretty much his entire life Right. And he's like, I'm not coming to the NBA and becoming some sort of stretch player. Hell no. I'm coming to the NBA and I'm attacking the same way he has probably since he was in middle school. So the one thing that occurs to me, though, there's a reason why that specific type of player and take out the shack element. I'm thinking more of kind of the classic power forward, um, really. The reason why there's a ceiling on that player and why sometimes Trez is not going to be on the floor at crunch time is because when that guy is in high school or even college, he's still big enough to dominate on the other end as well. That doesn't cut it anymore at the NBA level defensively, though. And that's even with Charles Barkley, like kind of one of the better examples of a guy like that that's so dominant, that can always get to the bucket, that's got post moves, that can get up and down in transition, that's got some handle, that can shoot. Well, he can't protect the rim. So ultimately, he's still not going to be able to get it done on the other end of the floor. And Carl Malone, even like as a as sort of the peak peak example of that classic power forward, same thing. Malone wasn't really doing much for you once you got into the paint. And that's that's like still the limitation. Um, I, I know that we, this is more of appreciating all the stuff that he does, but that's where the separation between him and AD or him and LeBron is. Well, Mike, like this is and this is a whole different pod. And now we're off the rails now. But it speaks to like the uniqueness of a player like Zion now. Right. Who is viewed as like as a future super duper star but the ability to say all right well what are you going to give me defensively right from this player archetype that is sort of no longer in the league really right and and can you produce for me defensively in in that way i i think there were high hopes for a guy like zion and through his first year and a half or so it's been a bit uneven there but that's going to determine what your ceiling is and zion's another guy that sort of fits into that mold for me so part of the reason 
why I'm so high on Trez with the Lakers specifically, because everything you said there is is true, Mike. It's okay if he can't close games with us. That's the thing, is that he will be, there will be times of the game, and again, I'm starting to think of this team and the, the formulation of it, rather than what parts of the game can this guy be great in, rather than can he close with LeBron and AD. We've got so many versions that can be a kick-ass closing lineup that if a guy doesn't fit into that, that's fine. we got plenty of other guys who do, and that's why he reminds me so much of that uh, that 90s NFL pass rusher, right? Like that Charles Hay- Haley, Kevin Green, the guy that you put in on third down and just say, go get the quarterback. And he's amazing at that. If you have to play him on first and second down, maybe he gets exploited in the running game, right? If you got to play him all the time, the more dependent you are on him, the less his value is. But if we ask Trez to come in, and like you said, Mike, so many teams are going small, especially in their bench units. And a guy like Trez against bench units, even in the NBA playoffs, those rosters are not generally built to deal with a guy like him. So I guess I'm the reason I'm so excited about him and so uh, positive, especially with some of the defensive development, is that like I don't think he's a closing lineup player for this team either. I just think that's perfectly fine. And that if he can dominate, that's, you know what I'm saying? And so he's a great weapon to have for those, those parts of the game. So anyway, this is uh this has been a lot of fun. Uh, we've got a lot of different places to go, but next one will be that half court offense pod. Uh, Trez's incorporation really plays into that. But anyway, a lot of fun. Another game against OKC coming up, uh, but until then, You've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. That next to the winner. It's on the way. Good. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Listen. seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. 
and your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.